Hi, this is Elliot, host of Inspired Edinburgh. Please come and check out our Facebook page for all of the latest updates. If I could ask a small favour, please could you subscribe and review our show on iTunes. By doing this, you'll be helping us reach a wider audience and have a greater impact by challenging perceptions and encouraging people to live a more conscious life. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh. Powerful conversations helping you reconnect with your purpose. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Mario Tomic. Mario is the founder of Tomic.com, a company that provides evidence-based fitness, nutrition and personal development coaching services. You're a certified physique and behaviour change coach, a YouTuber, a public speaker, a digital entrepreneur and a world traveller. In the past few years, your following has grown to in excess of 100,000 followers and your YouTube videos have had more than 8 million views. Your mission is to empower people to regain control over their health, develop critical thinking, embrace the journey of self-improvement and reach their full potential as human beings. Amazing. Mario, it's an honour to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Elliot. Uh, pleasure being here with you and uh, to discuss some of these things. Yeah. Big honour, big honour. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, I think I'm out of breath after that intro. Wow, it's quite <laughs> something. And, uh, you know, your, your journey uh, seems to be something quite incredible. So I'm really looking forward to, to finding out more about it. So I suppose in the beginning, you know, if we can start by hearing about, you know, your background, your, your upbringing, um, and really, I suppose, who Mario Tomic is. Yeah, a great question. Uh, actually, I think we spoke a little bit earlier and I told you I'd never heard of uh, this type of question before from my actual background way back, yeah. how I started, where I grew up and all that. Uh, usually on, on interviews, I talk about the current situation, what's going on, where did I travel last month, you know, and there's been a lot of going on in the last few years in my life. And I would say it's almost like having two lives. And if we <laughs> go back to, I guess, uh, where it all began, um, I've lived in a, I was born in a very, very small town, a village next to a small town at the southern border of Bosnia and Herzegovina and Croatia. My parents are Croatian, we're Croatian, and we're a minority in Bosnia and Herzegovina. It was the late of late 80s, uh, just before the Yugoslavian war started. Uh, that's where Croatia fought for the freedom. There was a lot of tension going on and, and it, was a, it was a hard time for this whole region. Mm -hmm. And um, that kind of made a big impact on a lot of people around me. Uh, for me personally, I was a little kid. I kind of remember stuff, you know, I remember the sirens, I remember fear in the air, I remember not having food. I remember, I don't know, waiting for the next German shipment of Kinder you know, and chocolate and stuff like, like Nutella's and all this like stuff that Italians and Germans would be sending because we didn't have, uh, sometimes we don't have food and it, clothing would be uh, kind of scarce and you couldn't really get that. But it wasn't super bad as, as many other regions in, around there, mm -hmm. which were kind of on the front line. They had it much, much worse. Luckily, we didn't have that much exposure, but it was kind of tough because in the air, you could just sense fear. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I mean, as a little kid, you're kind of like, you're not developed yet to really understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. But later on, I noticed how much that changed the adult population or even those that are just a little bit older than me. Because uh, luckily, by the time I went to school, it was all kind of sorted out. You know, when I went to school, it wasn't that tense. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't a lot of things going on. I remember some of my colleagues that were just a couple of years older than me. 
um, school was a mess, man. I mean, imagine <laughs> going to school during war times, right? You would still yeah. kind of go sometimes, but then there was like a siren, there was like people shooting guns and stuff like that, you know, like random people just go crazy because of it. And uh, that made a huge influence on them. And, and they're, uh, I guess, it's kind of, I mean, people at least currently, if we look at the personal development niche and that kind of world, it's always like, it's all a blank slate, man. You just start off, you know, it's all willpower, it's all you, right? Yes. It's not always all you. There, There's so many environmental factors and so many uh, things that I could consider myself lucky because if I was born just a couple of years earlier, I would have been in all that mess. I would mm. not have been here, right? And it just kind of like a couple of these random events that are totally outside of my control uh, could have shaped my life in a totally different way, right? So. But we can talk about that a little bit later. Now, mm -hmm. yeah, I remember. I mean, uh, one reason why I'm here, another reason why I have to mention is uh, my parents. Uh, my mother, she really instilled a lot of values in me in terms of integrity, in terms of uh, really being kind of like what you say you do, mm -hmm. but you don't really promise a lot of things. So I was never really that kind of guy, or even as a little kid, that I would promise a lot of things and not deliver. So that was a really interesting core value that I got from her mm -hmm. and from my dad. My dad is a complete nerd. Uh, he's uh, into <laughs> electronics and he's definitely one of the reasons why I'm also here because he was the, the one that was always pushing us to go forward, learn English, um, mm -hmm. adopt technology very fast because he was trying to stay on the cutting edge of technology even though during the war and all these times people were just worried about food and things like that mm -hmm. and he would be like installing a satellite we're, we were like the first in, in our village that we had the satellite TV and we had the first computer and I remember kids coming to our house where they would be just like oh my oh. god let's like what is this you know and, and, and things like that and <laughs> And the fact is that I was exposed to satellite and I was, um, I mean, I had the Cartoon Network and all these things, uh, mm -hmm. kind of, I, I guess I had a good understanding of English before I started learning it actively, okay. which helped me now come here and talk to you because my native tongue is Croatian, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and if those, I mean, of course, watching as they can check one of our earlier videos, they're going to see that I, I barely speak English properly, right? But I still had a good idea of understanding English because of my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't, uh, to this day, he, he's not very fluent in English, but he does understand as well. And that geeky side of his, I think I've kind of inherited that value where I'm constantly trying to stay on, like, in touch with what's going on in technology, and I'm very passionate about that as well. Yeah. And th that really helped a lot in my life, I think, because if there wasn't for the computers and the satellite and my parents pushing me, no way I would have been here. And it's not all me, right? I have to say that. I mean, maybe some of it is now because now I'm working hard. But back then, when you're a little kid, a lot of your success depends on your parents and on your environment. Sad but true, mm -hmm. right? Some of it is just like that. Now, yeah, a couple of years forward, you know, fast forward, uh, we got high school, we got, we got primary school, I guess, and then high school. I was always kind of this goal-oriented kid that, that didn't necessarily enjoy high school as much or, or primary school, but I, I managed to get good grades because my parents cared about that. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like college is the save, salvation, right? College is the way. That was <laughs> what I was taught as a little kid. And it was all moving toward me going to college to be the first in my family to actually go oh, to right. college, right? Yeah. And, um, I understand where, where that came from now, because back then I didn't understand where that came from, but now looking back, I mean, um, college used to be a big deal in the 80s, in the 90s, or in the 70s, where my parents were kind of, I mean, th that's what they knew was the best, and that was the best at that time. I, I mean, of course, in the last 
uh, two decades, things changed rapidly, especially mm -hmm. in the last decade. And then now college is kind of losing it, its value. But I did go to college. I got a master's degree in computing. Uh, that was uh, very interesting. Uh, the reason why I picked computing uh, was I was actually on the verge of going to medical school or computing. It's totally different things, right? Yeah. But I was always passionate about biology. I was learning a lot about that. In high school, I had all straight A's or fives in my country uh, in biology and also in, in computing, right? In computer science. So those were the two things that I was super interested in. Yeah. And the reason I went for computing was actually I have to admit that I played it safe. Because I knew that in computing um, back then, because I was thinking I'm going to go to get a job, I was thinking, like, oh, computing, come on, it's like obvious you're going to find a job because <laughs> it's like you're, you're an engineer, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, finished that, got my master's degree, uh, and um, then I worked for a year in, in an office after, I mean, struggling for about a half a year to even get some work. Even longer than that, it was, uh, was quite tough. It was just on the verge of crisis back 2008 or so. Okay, yeah. Uh, around that period of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I mean, if you look at this region, uh, Croatia slash Bosnia Herzegovina, all that region, is, it's always been a little bit harder to find uh, work, especially if you're just coming off college where you don't have the skill sets yet. Okay. Uh, employees don't necessarily value that much if you're not already kind of uh, experienced. And I didn't have a lot of experience, you know, and I was just. Um, I mean, I wasted a lot of my college years on uh, World of Warcraft, and I, just, <laughs> I, I was just, I mean, yeah. I was hacking the process basically just to finish college, right? Because I was thinking the degree is really what it, what it all is about. Because yes. once you have the degree, bam, like life is sorted out. <laughs> and yeah, I have the degree, but it does, I mean, it doesn't really do much for you if you're not actually developed uh, in terms of your skill sets. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, I mean, once I finished college, that, that was kind of the first time in my life that I realized, well, okay, it's not like what you've been told and what the system is kind of promoting might not actually be true. Because what I was told before I went to college is, okay, just finish college, do your five years, pay your dues, you know, <laughs> get all the programming, math, <laughs> physics, like um, statistics, complicated stuff out of the way, uh -huh. uh, engineering stuff and all that. And um, it's going to be easy, right? That's like easy going from then on. Finish college, uh, no job, right? No job, no offers, no places for you. And hmm. then you start realizing a little bit that, that some people might have been wrong, maybe not intentionally, but just the fact that all your professors that are telling you that you're 100% that you're guaranteed to get a job, promo materials for the college itself, you know, it's not realizing, well, maybe there's something like marketing, you know, maybe there's something going on here that is not exactly what, what the reality is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, luckily, I mean, I got a job after about, I think it was eight months or so. And during those eight, eight months, it was really hard uh, because my parents, I mean, we're not rich. I mean, far from that. I mean, we we literally live paycheck to paycheck. And I don't mean it in like a kind of a, I guess you could say some people live paycheck to paycheck, even though they have a lot of funds. Yes, we, we yeah. were like, okay, how do we pay the electricity bill and things okay. like that, you know, most of the time. Yeah, And um, that's the reality because uh, the region and how much they, my parents invested in my college was a lot, right? Mm. And it was a lot of sacrifice. And when I came back home, I was like, okay, now it's time for me to work, produce an income and help everybody. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. So I was kind of a burden, even though I had all this degree, I have all this potential, but I still felt like a burden and I was, right? And, and it was a huge struggle. And my brother as well, he, he started college at the same time, which was another burden. You know, it was just such a big strain. 
And I, I really felt bad for, for quite a bit of time there. I felt like I was totally useless. Um, like imagine, I mean, you can't produce any value. You, you think that you're, you're, uh, you don't have any purpose, right, at, at, at some point. Luckily, I got that job. I got to experience a year of corporate work. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, we can get into that a little bit, but uh, uh, it didn't match my vision, my purpose, my potential, and, and I didn't feel happy, right? So was it was it like an entry level role that you went into then? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a system administrator in a, in a, in a government actually government stable job. You know, it's basically a kind of job that people dream about. You know, you could say that in this region, people dream about getting that job because eventually, once you kind of settle into the government positions, you, mm -hmm. you're pretty much set for life. Mm -hmm. You get this salary and, and it's kind of safe. And it's a safe option. And, and my parents were really happy with that. Um, I was happy initially because I thought, well, man, like it's all good, right? Sort it out. <laughs> yeah. um, I started saving a little bit, you know, all these good things started happening. But uh, there was a slow buildup of, of kind of like, man, is this really what it is? You know, like, is this, is this the end, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah. we can get a little bit into that. But I just felt like there's a lot of other people that were on the same path, and I just look at their lives and where they ended up. And I was like, man, I mean, if I do this, I'm gonna end up like that as well. And they don't look very happy. And yeah, yeah. it's just uh, <laughs> a lot of these small, small decisions kind of uh, compounded. And um, yeah, eventually I, I actually decided to quit that job, which, which didn't make a lot of people happy. Like I was pretty much the only person <laughs> sort of uh, happy with it, but more like afraid when I did that. And so what did you think that you were going to do at that stage? Uh, well, uh, when I quit that job, w the truth was that I didn't have a good strategy. Um, <laughs> I had some savings built up and uh, prior to quitting the job, I started working in, in, as an intern for uh, larger companies as a marketing intern. So during uh, the six months before I quit, I started uh, getting into personal development. Mm -hmm. uh, I started getting into fitness as well, a little bit before that. So there was kind of two parallel journeys and I was reading all these books. You know, I read like the four hour work week, you know, I read all these like um, success books, like Think and Grow Rich. And I thought I was invincible, right? <laughs> I thought like I had all this knowledge yeah. and, and, and it's done, man, right? You have Tony Robbins to motivate you. You have like uh, Napoleon Hill to, uh, to show you how to visualize your money dropping from the air. Yeah. You have like a four hour work week means that you can work only four hours and be like financially free trial of the world. And I was like, man, like I can get this, you know? And, and sort of, I like that because it sort of pushed me in the right direction, uh -huh. but I had a lot lot of beliefs back then that I, now I know it was completely off but I kind of am glad that I got inspired uh, through those resources because they Definitely. pushed me to learn skills and yeah. I started learning social media marketing I recognized that that would be a good a skill mm -hmm. I started writing some articles uh, on sites like uh, Fiverr and then giving ser my services like that and uh, I got some basic skills and I eventually started freelancing for free uh, because I, I thought that I had some savings up and because living in the environment where I was, I didn't have a lot of costs. I was living with my parents. Mm -hmm. So I freelanced for free for about three months or so at multiple different companies. And eventually I got a gig as a marketing kind of, uh, I guess an assistant sort of role in social media marketing. And that was kind of the first break where I started earning a little bit more money than I had before for my job, mm -hmm. which, which, made me feel a little bit safer to continue my journey of improvement. That was way before I started fitness or anything like that. Okay. And, and that was a very, very interesting like a tipping point. 
uh, where I feel like that financial, just that a little bit of stability, mm -hmm. uh, even though everybody else was thinking, what am I doing? You know, like they didn't understand what I was doing because people, I mean, we need to understand, even now people don't believe that you can make money online, right? Even now, if you tell someone you can make money online, they're gonna tell you, are you scamming someone? You're, you're like, I don't know, you're doing something to trick people <laughs> or it's not real money or it's not actual finances that you're making. It's not long-term, like that's the type of thinking. Uh -huh. And boy, did I get in trouble for that, right? Uh, <laughs> like nobody had any empathy for me back then, like nobody, right? Uh, but I did have forums and, and groups and things like that where people were kind of struggling to do the same. So that was fortunate. Uh, luckily, if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't be here. You know, oh. like that, that's kind of like, I guess I kind of dig myself out of that yeah. hole there. And um, yeah, it was a very, very small difference between me doing what I do right now. I would say if I look back uh -huh. versus just me continuing that job. If I didn't quit it, I would probably be still there and bam. Yeah. Right. Very, very small difference. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I, I'm interested to hear. I suppose. I mean, you you, you just sort of touched upon it. The um, your f health transformation. I suppose because I mentioned to you earlier, I have seen historic pictures of you where you don't look like you do just now. I mean, I wouldn't say you were by any stretch grossly overweight or anything, but I mean, you weren't. Um, you know, sort of like lean and and, and muscled. So yeah. like. What, what was the catalyst for the transformation? Well, the one thing that people don't know is that the transformation for the, uh, for the body, right? My, my transformation when I decided to get my health in order mm -hmm. was actually happening at the same time as my personal development transformation. But you don't yeah. really see what's going on here. You just see <laughs> what's going on outside. Yeah. And it, I would say that, I mean, fitness is just one part of you developing yourself as a person. So when I kind of started getting into this whole personal development world, mm -hmm. I started then working on pretty much everything and it just inspired me while well, I realized, look, the mind, the body and, and the body itself, it's basically your vehicle that you have. You're stuck with it. You know, you can either make the most out of it, you know, make it work for you mm -hmm. or you can actually be kind of neutral or work against you at yeah. some point. Yeah. So you got to have your body on your side. If you're looking to achieve good things in, the, uh, in your life, you're looking to be focused, energized. Uh, for, for a long time, have the energy to actually do anything, the body is critical. And I've realized this because I've seen so many people trade their health for money or tra trade their health for, for short-term happiness, and it never really worked out for them. I've seen mm -hmm. people like, I mean, drop like flies around me from cancers and things like that who don't really, like even family cases and, and, and stuff like that. and and these people never really took care of that area of their lives. You know, they were always kind of ignoring it and, and shoving it, you know, like away, you know, don't like I, later, later, later. Mm. It always kind of catches up with you. And um, that was, I mean, to be fair, uh, that was after a while that I started thinking like this. In the beginning, it was more like, okay, I really am not proud of myself. I, 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 didn't, I didn't look at my body and, and I was thinking, well, look, I mean, I have to get this thing handled, you know, and, and I can do it and I know that I can. And that was one of the personal development things that the first thing you, you really learn is that you have control, mm -hmm. right? That's the first thing I, I, I think was the most important in my entire journey is learning that you have control. Because before that, what I was thinking, it's total victim mentality, right? You're mm -hmm. the victim of these circumstances around you. You have no power to change anything. Uh, your food is dictated by your environment, your friends, your family, who you eat, and all that. And then I started realizing 
well, I have this control and then I can actually do these actions that will lead to a totally different outcome and I can choose whether to do them or not. Mm -hmm. And once I picked that and I decided to do that, I was very, very strict in my first year of, uh, of my transformation that people see now. I was actually very strict, man. I was like, <laughs> no life, no life. I was really? very, very diligent. I said no to a lot of a lot of my friends pretty much on a, on a daily basis to hanging out, to drinking, to partying, pretty much everything. And um, yeah, it was, was kind of black and whitish, you know, I don't recommend that approach right now for my clients, but uh, it was yeah. something that I did uh, as sort of like, I guess it was almost like an opposite, you know, the pendulum was, was in a different direction where I, I just allowed everybody to have their uh, say in my agenda or what I was doing, what I was eating, what I was behaving like, I was always matching my kind of self-image with other people's expectations, but then the pendulum was swinging in the other direction, which is now, okay, this is me, I have my vision, like, don't talk to me, I'm gonna do what <laughs> I wanna do. And really? it was a really different okay. opposite, and, and that kind of, I mean, kind of went back in the, in, in, to balance, sort of, so I can actually get feedback from other people and things like that. But for the first year, I wasn't listening to anybody. Like for the first year, man, uh, I was very, very bro-y, bro science-y in terms of my dieting, was very, okay. very on point, uh, training five days a week, not missing a single workout. It was really, really on point. And um, it taught me a lot. I think it taught me a lot, but uh, it did come from a place of being a, a kind of a, I guess feeling not happy with myself and uh, that sort of changed after a while. Mm -hmm. But really that realization that you have control over your own uh, life, over your own outcomes, that you can actually make different changes in your life, man, mm -hmm. that was huge. Uh, I was like, w why didn't I know this before? You know, I was <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> but yeah. So, so yeah, what, what, so what did your training and your diet look like for that, that kind of year? Yeah, it was a basic program. Yeah. Uh, one, one of my friends that I knew that I was into training, I just asked him, hey, can you send me a program? He just sent me a random program. It was mm -hmm. total bro science. I mean, it was kind of a <laughs> uh, bro-ish split, you know, Monday, uh, what is, if I can remember that. Um, Monday, shoulders and arms, I think it was like that. Then it was uh, uh, legs, uh, then it was uh, back and biceps again, chest and triceps, and then it was the fifth day. What was the fifth day? I think it was some kind of cardio. Cardio plus, again, uh, I think arms or some, some ridiculous program. I mean, I would not recommend doing that now, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it was enough for me because it provided me a very strict structure, so I didn't really have to think about it. And luckily, I didn't have that many resources at that point because the I wasn't yet searching online for resources and there wasn't this whole YouTube and fitness community like it is right now. So mm -hmm. I didn't get too confused. I could actually take action on it, which was, I mean, right now I, I totally, totally empathize with people when, say, when they say, man, there's so many programs out there, you know. I totally understand mm -hmm. because now there is. Back <laughs> then, I just asked my buddy, hey, can you send me this and just create a basic meal plan for me? And what he did is he basically told me, eat chicken, uh, chicken and rice, and, and uh, it wasn't broccoli, but it was some kind of cabbage that we have down there and, and tomatoes. Broccoli isn't really big in that region. Okay. And um, <laughs> it was very broish. I prepared, my, I did my meal plans. I had my, my, my uh, plastic containers. And I would take that to work. I would just hammer on that every day. And I was eating like six meals a day, you know, very okay. bro style kind of diet. <laughs> and uh, I got results, right? And mm -hmm. um, that taught me a lot. That taught me the value of structure as well and just sticking to a plan. And that, that, was, that was big. Even though it was yeah. not the perfect plan, it was still 
something I could do and um, it took a lot of sacrifice but yeah I mean it gave results man like I, as soon as I yeah. saw results I was like you just gotta keep doing this you know like <laughs> that's it so, so when did you decide to start um, I suppose almost developing like a personal brand and starting your, your channels and really putting a message out yeah, that wouldn't be until very late really? uh, because I was first, I mean, I was even a late adopter to Facebook. In college, I didn't use Facebook, right? I, I, di I didn't start even using Facebook until I uh, almost quit my job uh, because I didn't really feel, uh, my, I never thought that I would be a public persona or that I would ever go into expressing my ideas. I was always afraid of what people would think of me. And I was always kind of proud of myself to not be the mainstream guy, you know, like I was like, ah, everybody's on Facebook, I'm not gonna be on Facebook, you know, I was okay. even making fun of people that were on Facebook back then when I was in college, you know, <laughs> like, oh, you guys posting these pictures and status updates, I'm above, you know, like, and, and it was interesting. Being an introvert naturally, uh, kind of, I guess, enhanced the whole idea, okay, just, just let it all be, you know, do your own thing, and I was always gonna do my own thing. But um, after a while, I started Facebook and having worked for uh, as a, uh, learning social media and having that consulting uh, gig and a couple of those gigs, I realized that social media is actually more good than harm in my mind. So I started kind of shifting from looking at it as like all useless and bad. Mm -hmm. I was starting to realize, well, I can actually share my thoughts. And I started posting random personal development quotes and things on my profile. That would actually get some engagement. And I realized, well, I should actually use this more. And I started using my social media more. And especially after I made my transformation, my body, yeah. uh, that gave me a little bit of confidence to start doing more of social media. And I wasn't, wasn't really afraid of doing it. Then when I started traveling, it would just became like a natural thing to do. But in the beginning, I was a very late adopter uh, to social media. And, and the fact is that I don't know whether that's good or bad. It just is what it is. I mean, I wouldn't really change anything right now. But yeah. uh, the personal brand kind of started with my Facebook profile. Then I uh, started writing a blog with my fitness stuff. I uh, just started a website just to share my thoughts. A couple of those articles kind of got read, you know, by a few people, friends, family, <laughs> those who <laughs> understand English. And... Um, I, I guess, yeah, then, then social media started becoming very popular. I read some Gary Vaynerchuk stuff. I started realizing that, that there's a lot to it, you know, mm -hmm. and YouTube was very late. I mean, YouTube, I, I'm, I haven't done YouTube till 2014 at all. Okay. So um, there's got, there were guys, I remember 2015, early 2015, that had already like a million subscribers. Yeah. And uh, I was listening to their stuff. And, and I could not imagine myself doing YouTube at all like zero I was, I was always thinking if i ever do this fitness thing full time it's gonna be a blog you know i'm gonna hide behind the the, the article and and uh, because my english was bad okay I, I just didn't imagine that i would be able to improve my english uh, get yeah. rid of the balkan accent uh the, the deep voice not being able to remember the words even now i mean when i'm talking to you my brain probably has to work uh, about 30 40 percent more to just come up with the content Seriously. But it's pretty cool, right? Mm. And um, yeah, it worked out well uh, <laughs> at the end. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think was like the, the sort of tipping point then? You know, when did you decide? And, and I think what's really interesting as well, actually, because you mentioned being an introvert, there's a surprising amount of people who are YouTubers who are introverts. It's almost like a trend. That yeah. like, you know, a lot of the really top, um, I'll, I'll refrain from naming names, but it's quite common now. 
Yeah, and I wouldn't really say that there's, I mean, there are true introverts, there are true extroverts. I would say that it really depends on the situation where you find yourself in. I can mm -hmm. say that I was an introvert in terms of video. Now I could say that I'm an extrovert when it comes to video, right? Yeah. The brain is very plastic. And what I mean by plastic, I mean you can mold the brain to be at your service, you know, if you know how to do things. And someone being an introvert or someone not having social skills, which, I mean, I'm that guy, right? That doesn't have to define you who you are because you can change all those things. With enough reps, with enough work, you can change those things. I mean, I still, when I work, I don't like anybody around me, right? I like to have my silence. I have my... Uh, a uh, website that gives me background noise with cloud, like with a um, thunderstorm and, and, and uh, sounds of nature when really? I work, so oh, zone really? out completely. Uh, but when I'm doing videos, you can put me in the busiest street in Barcelona <laughs> or London yeah. or somewhere like that where there's like a chaos around me. I'll still knock out a video. I will not even flinch. Uh, there's going to be, I mean, sometimes I have these people like coming up from the back, you know, they're like hugging me or touching me. I don't even like recognize anymore. You, you learn how to be non-reactive uh, after doing it for a very, very long time. But yeah, I could say like you can literally shift in one domain from an introvert to an extrovert. You can also revert back to an introvert. Mm -hmm. Very, very easy, right? If you don't keep training these patterns, you just go back to a default, whether your default is an extrovert or introvert. Wow, okay. Jeez. I mean, I've noticed um, certainly in your YouTube channel, a lot of the content that you create, it's all really, really thoroughly researched. Um, and it's all backed up by science. And you've done um, interviews with people who are really, you know, the top of their field. What are some of the biggest learnings that you've had? Yeah, I mean, I'll take a step back and I'll say that it is researched. Um, most of it, I would say, or let's be conservative, let's say about 60% of it, and especially the, the later part of my fitness journey, I started valuing more, uh, citing my sources and, and research and all that. When I first started out, I, I really just talked from my personal experience because mm -hmm. I didn't even know what a research study was. And, and I'm 100% open with that. And to be fair, even now when I went through a bunch of studies and even now I don't 100% understand everything that is in a study because I'm not a researcher. Mm -hmm. um, I have uh, researchers that I know that I can talk with and I can kind of get certain information from them that helps me understand. And I'm sort of a... I guess I'm taking a lot of their complicated scientific principles mm -hmm. and bringing it to a very simple kind of practical way where you can apply it in everyday life, mm -hmm. which is a part that is missing in a lot of industries because there's a whole bunch of research happening. People don't even know about it. You know, like mm -hmm. by the time it gets to the public, it just disappears. And a lot of it actually gets in, in like a, a commercial newspaper and it gets misquoted or taken out of context and all this trouble appears, right? So it, there's really a, a big um, portion of the industry, especially in fitness, that is, um, th there's a demand for that. You know, there's a demand for people who actually know what they're talking about, but at the same time, they can back that up by, with science. And I realized that. Mm -hmm. I realized that there is some stuff that is, that, that the fastest way to get to the truth is through science, through evidence-based, through research. But now it's also becoming a buzzword. So, I mean, as in anything, uh, marketers will destroy it. It's just a matter of time. But, I mean, um, again, uh, it, is, it is one of those things where I, I'm proud that I could say that I cite this source and that, I'm, that I know that this source is legit when I'm producing some of my content because the, the fact is I could be wrong, even that source could be wrong. And, and that's one thing that you can see from people who are successful in this industry that they've actually went through a lot of failure and they've actually admitted that they were wrong at some point. So now if you say that 
well, your content is great. Man, like five years, some of those videos, people might be laughing at them when a new research study comes out, like a huge systematic review and uh, people yeah. say, well, that's just outdated. And I'll be the first one to say that. And mm -hmm. that's the beauty of being a content creator who is not attached to his content in a, in a sort of an ego-driven way. Because mm. I can say that I was wrong, and, and, and I am sometimes. I can just say that. I can make a new video explaining what's going on. Because if you care about your audience, if you care about the people actually looking at your stuff, mm -hmm. you will want to help them and, and reveal to them the truth. But uh, what I see a lot in the fitness industry right now, people will write books about certain concepts when those books become bestsellers. Now they're invested. There's a lot of confirmation bias. So everything else that is coming out, it's all about looking at that through the lens of I'm right and this must be wrong, even though it's totally contradicting me and, and it's tr the truth. Mm -hmm. So it's important to, if you wanna succeed in, in any industry, it's really important to be able to learn continuously and give up some of your beliefs. I think that's one of the uh, core principles while, uh, why the, the fitness industry got a, almost like a revolution where all these kind of more skeptical people started getting into it and they started questioning everything. Because mm. back in the day, man, I was like, big guy in the gym says, you need to do like 10 sets of uh, bicep curls. Everybody does 10 sets of <laughs> bicep curls. Yeah. But now these guys like Brad Schoenfeld, like a famous researcher came out and they're like, okay, let, let's put that hypothesis to the test. Mm. You know, two different conditions, three different conditions, control, let's see what's up. And now we're advancing in, uh, let's say in the last decade, we advanced more than forever, you know, even in the last five years, which is really, I'm happy to be a part of that movement uh, that brings that kind of information to the, to the general public. Yeah, I mean, it must be sort of strange for you because there's so many people now that are digesting your content and that are looking at it that it kind of needs to be factually accurate. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. incumbent upon you to be producing stuff that is correct. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. It's easy when your video is shown by to uh, I don't know, 50 people. <laughs> Nobody's even questioning you, to be honest. But if your yeah. video gets seen by a million people, yeah. uh, you will be questioned and, and everybody will be like, okay, this guy has somewhat of an influence, so he absolutely. better be right. You know, he better be right. And yeah. uh, sadly, I mean, some of this stuff out there is far from the truth and it's getting a lot of attention. But I mean, we're fixing that. We're slowly chipping at that and, and it's gonna be in, in the next couple of years, I think, the, the evidence-based fitness world, if, if, there's, um, the, if the movement continues growing like it grew now, uh -huh. I think in a couple of years, there's gonna be a huge, people will have so much knowledge that you can't really uh, BS people anymore with like marketing scams. You know, I think at least, I mean, I'm a idealist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I suppose like in your, your, your journey then, when did you decide that actually fitness was the thing that you really wanted to kind of drill down and master and go into as a, a kind of profession and, and then coaching people, you know? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I, if I could pinpoint a time, I would, uh, to be honest, uh, a lot of, I mean, I, I know a lot of success books will say, hey, I was just born with and to be this fitness coach. I don't necessarily uh, believe that there's, uh, that there's this black and white answer that th at this point in my life, I would exactly knew that it, and I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. I know that fitness is going to be a big part of my life until I die and that's probably a big part of everybody's lives until you die, your body, your health, uh, mastering that. And I will again come back to the point that fitness is just one part of the uh, whole development as a person. So mm -hmm. for me, I find fitness to be one of the things that I could share my message through because, I mean, talking about personal development, just personal development, 
it's sort of like, okay, what, where's the substance of it? You know, where are you applying that personal development to? Are you applying it to business? Are you applying it to fitness? Are you applying it to uh, your social skills? Or are you applying it to your higher purpose? Where are you actually applying those lessons from personal development? And I find fitness for me personally was the thing that taught me uh, the practical side of those lessons that I've learned from books from Brian Tracy, from Tony and Robbins and all these guys that talk about mm -hmm. the value of trusting the process, having the patience, putting in the reps, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger style. Yeah. And um, I can see that happen in the gym. And that's what kind of led me to think, uh, well, this is my vehicle through which I can share my message. And it's going to be 100% congruent because I am living that life and I am actually uh, talking about it at the same time. Because yeah. you want full congruence. You want to actually be able to talk about stuff that you've also experienced in your own skin. So you can't just be a coach uh, without having uh, some of at least your experience in, in the field. Mm -hmm. And I find, um, yeah, I find, I mean, fitness for me personally, it was a life changer. And, and, and now for my clients, I mean, it, it is just one of those areas of life you got to handle. If, if you're looking to be the, the top of the top, um, it's unavoidable, right? It mm -hmm. has to become handled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Powerful stuff. <laughs> I like it. When when did you decide that you wanted to start traveling? Yeah, uh, that was uh, that was actually uh, I think my first flight was back in 2012. Um, okay. I flew to Amsterdam, and uh, actually I got robbed in Amsterdam. That was oh, my right. first experience as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was interesting to be on a flight and most of I mean to be honest I I never even knew what a flight would look like I mean that that was I was already in my 20s right and oh. I was like okay let's let's try this and I flew there and uh, yeah man it was a huge shock uh, it was a huge shock and uh, at the beginning I actually went back home like after a month <laughs> like after a month and i went there to i stayed at my one of my friend's house uh, who i knew from um, from just the personal development coaching community and all of that and that was really cool because i got to learn more about their cultures and i improved my english as well mm -hmm. uh, it was really cool to be in a, in a different country i realized a lot of things I, I was in a bubble back before i went traveling i was really living in this bubble where the environment sort of like you don't really feel how the environment affects you until you leave the environment. Mm. Only until you've actually exited your environment, you can see all those triggers that were and all those influences, how you would actually behave when those disappear. And to be fair, in our environments dictate about 60-70% of our behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, there's all these decisions that you're making because your, your environment is there. I mean, if the cake is in your fridge, you're going to eat it. <laughs> if people at work are bringing food and it's, there's food on the table, you're going to eat it. Simple examples from nutrition. If your friends all are talking about um, how their boss sucks, you're most likely going to be negative as well. And that's just the way we are. We're social creatures. Mm -hmm. Now, when I kind of went out of that environment, I started realizing, well, the traveling is where you can continuously keep challenging yourself to change and to reinvent yourself every few months. So there's potential with travel to grow even faster. Because travel, what, what it forces you, I mean, if you think about it, every time you have to reset, you know, in three months you reset your whole life and you have to rebuild. And mm -hmm. there's so many lessons you learn from that. It's incredible. Yeah, 2012, life-changing first trip was, uh, was a huge shocker. I didn't even know what a train was, man. Like, I mean, wow. like I didn't know what an airplane was, what a train was, what public transport is. We don't have any of that. I mean, if you think about it, I'm coming from a very small village. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. even my college city was like 50,000 people. 
like nothing much there to see, you know, and uh, it was amazing even to see big buildings that are like shiny marketing, like you get this feeling of abundance, right? You sense abundance for a little bit because where I'm coming from, you can still see like the bullet holes on the buildings. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay, this is different, right? <laughs> this is different, you know, there, there's mm-hmm. stuff happening here. People are, some people are thriving in this environment. So you kind of get a feel for it, you know? And uh, yeah, you learn a lot. Like it's totally different. Uh, I mean, if, if, you've, if you've been kind of accustomed to it, it almost feels normal. But for me, it was a huge, huge shock. I love listening to your answers, man. They're really, <laughs> honestly, really, really good. Um, how many countries have you been to now? Uh, 45. Tomorrow it's going to be 46. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incredible. And, and how do you think that's changed your, your kind of worldview? Massive, massive influence on my worldview uh, through the fact, I think, I mean, it kind of is uh, going hand in hand with social media where you can see all these things happening, but not until you actually experience certain places can you uh, get sort of a feel for it. Because uh, to be fair, we all fed a certain image and we have these stereotypes built on, on what a person should behave like in a different country or even your friend. And we are like, okay, I, I'm in like, I'm in India right now and people aren't behaving like the social media says, you know, what's going on here? You know, there's like people that are exactly like me, they're doing the exact same thing and it's like same, you know, and and it's like you start realizing that people are very, very similar in their behavior all around the world and you realize how much of an influence these uh, factors have on, on your own thinking because you're no longer black and white about things. You start looking more at at a, at a gray kind of contextual kind of way. Okay, if, this, if you put this place, if you put this person in the same context, they're probably gonna behave the same. So mm-hmm. it's not actually the person that is the, that is the one that is supposed to carry the blame for something or, or responsibility for something bad or, or credit for something good, but it's mm-hmm. actually a lot of that where they're placed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you put someone in an environment where they're, they're just pushed forward, they're very likely to succeed. And it, you learn so mm-hmm. much about these kinds of uh, things where your mind starts realizing that the world is really very similar and that there's all these borders that we see is just a bunch of nonsense. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, I mean, for me, it was an eye-opener to go to Asia or play, or like Japan when I first went to Japan, which is, uh, I guess it was one of the places where I could say it was the almost exact opposite of human behavior. Uh, than um, what I what I learned back home or in Europe, mm-hmm. and um, you realize, I mean, how much of the stuff is learned behavior, you know, from the culture and how people behave just because someone <laughs> told them to behave like that, or mm-hmm. how much collectivism in some countries, how much individualism is in the other countries. So you kind of start questioning whether your own approach is like what you thought it was the only approach, you know, it's not really true mm-hmm. because there's people succeeding in different environments and they're making it happen. And you see like, there's so many options out there and you, you feel like there's, uh, there's no place for judgment anymore. Like you can't judge people anymore. After you've been through a lot of countries, you really refrain from judgment. You, you stop looking at the cover of the book and you really kind of admit that you don't know. You know, if someone asks me even for some countries where I just spent a week, how is it like there? I first create a context, well, I was just there for a week, man. So this is the <laughs> stuff that I've done. So this is the stuff that was good, this was stuff, you know, like, I wouldn't say, oh yeah, Sweden sucks, or Sweden <laughs> is awesome, or Norway is amazing, or Norway sucks. Yeah. No, man, I just said, hey, I was just there for a week, I, I, I'm sad that I didn't have a chance to be there for longer. <laughs> yeah. You know, you start really 
looking at the world from a more nuanced perspective. Yes, because so many people make those kind of sweeping generalizations about so many things. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There's no place for that, in, in, to be honest. And, mm-hmm. and if people would really travel uh, more, and if they had the ability, I would say this is a very luxury kind of thing, and, and it's certainly not possible for everybody. Like my mother, never been on a flight before. The furthest away she was was like a six hour drive from home, you know, like mm-hmm. that's like everybody almost that I know. And I feel very humbled and, and blessed that I can be in that situation to see these things. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see when, when you talk about these different locations, I mean, it opens you up as well to start thinking more that the world isn't that big of a scary place as, as the media or some people try to make you believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if, I mean, I don't watch any media or I'm cut off totally. I mean, you can talk a bit about that. <laughs> but I mean, my newsfeed yeah. is blocked. My, I don't read any news. I don't, I don't know what the hell is going on. And um, that actually is very interesting because what, the media and, and a lot of stuff that you see out there is that all there's all these bad things happening and the world is just a scary place that it's best just to stay home <laughs> preventive focused just be safe you know like in your little home and mm-hmm. don't go anywhere when you start traveling and you go to certain places you're like well man like there's nothing wrong here you know the, certain things can happen but i mean mm-hmm. come on you know people live their lives people are mostly good People are mostly ready to help you, even though you don't deserve help sometimes. You know, people just go out of their way to help you, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really good eye opener. You know, like you learn that people are inherently good. And like we have all this reciprocity kind of mindset, you know, they will help you just because it makes them feel good and, and just makes you feel good and then you help them. It's just mm-hmm. crazy how, how much uh, this, uh, I hope, it's not going to go too much in this direction of portraying the whole world as a big scary place that the social media will actually kind of, I guess, eventually uh, get rid of this fake news and really put yeah. out the right picture. There's so many great places in the world and people are afraid to go to these places. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I think social media has been fantastic for that in raising people's awareness of what the reality is more like. Um, and it reminds me, actually, I recently saw it was a pie chart and this is perhaps... Um, you know, around about the, the the mainstream media. It was a pie chart that showed the number of deaths in America. And then of those deaths, it showed the number of them which are gun crime related. And it's so fractional that it's almost, you know, in, it's like infinite, infinitesimal relative to the whole thing. But the media would have you believe that there's like gun wars all the time and that people are constantly being shot, which is like, it's not, whilst these things are awful, I'm not, by no means am I condoning them, it's not that frequent. Yeah, and how much of that is really creating this, uh, spreading this fear that is that, that could in one way even cause some of those things because people are just so crazy and paranoid and, and, and they just can't deal with it. How much yeah. of that is giving permission people? And we have to think about it, and these are very hard questions to ask. You know, if you, uh, if you put a sign, and this is well studied actually, social science, if you uh, put a sign, don't drop the trash here, people will assume that this is a place where, where everybody else drops the trash, so I'm gonna <laughs> drop my trash as well, right? Yeah. And if you say that, this, uh, certain things like that, if you're not really, really he- careful how do you frame your message, mm-hmm. man, like you're, you can be in big trouble. And yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit scared because, I mean, this is a domain outside of my control, but do we really know what we're talking about when we're, when we're putting out headlines? You know, do we know yeah. how much of that is causing a nocebo effect you know, in people? You know, things like that. And yeah. I mean, I would be, it's kind of even scary to think about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
when I met you at the airport, it was funny because you have a, a, a suitcase and you have a backpack and you basically said, this is like my worldly belongings. <laughs> so, I mean, you, on, the, on the road and with the travelling that you do, um, you must live a very sort of lean, minimal life. How's that changed your relationship with material possessions? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, everything that I have can fit in a 22 kilo bag uh, that's in, in my backpack. Uh, most of that is really my tech that I carry for videos and uh, some of it is clothes. I've personally, no, there's no attachment toward any kind of uh, uh, clothing or any kind of specific thing where I would say, hey, this, this is a part of me. No, I don't, I don't have any bracelets, any necklaces, nothing. And I've kind of, uh, I guess it's just for, for me, if you look at it, why logically this makes sense for me, I just don't want to have that burden to make decisions related to that. The less things that I have to make decisions on, the more focused I can be on the things that truly matter. So if I have to worry about what's going to happen with my, uh, you know, my collections of, of bracelets or whatever, or my rings or, my, or which shirt am I going to wear tomorrow, how, is that energy justified? That investment of that energy is it really justified? Because I mean, looking at even the, some of the research on, on decision fatigue, we can clearly see that the amount of decisions you can make in a day, pretty much finite by the time, by finite I mean like you have, uh, uh, I guess a price to pay for making so many decisions. And there's a really cool study on this done, uh, judges on parole, uh, there were, uh, they're basically getting these people from prison that could decide whether they should leave the prison or stay there, depending on how strong their case is. And what happened in this uh, particular case, in this study, what they looked at is that it wasn't really how strong or how good the case of the person was uh, coming out of prison to, to go in front of the judges. It was more the fact when the judges made the decision throughout the day that played a huge role if they would go out or not. And what happened is that the judges in the morning, when they were fresh, they were ready to look at each case, you know, they, they made a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I mean, got a positive, you know, because it was, it was true. Um, then as they progressed, it was mainly no, 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 no. At the end of the day, nobody got out because they made so many decisions that they couldn't really uh, think anymore about each case. So they just had to play it safe because they mm -hmm. couldn't really think anymore. And how many of us come back from work? It's like 6 p.m., you know, and no more decisions, you know, and end up like downing a box of like Pop-Tarts and stuff like that because you're... <laughs> Your brain is so destroyed by the end of the day because yeah. you haven't managed your energy properly that you cannot l do stuff. And if you spend your energy on which shirt I'm gonna wear, what am I like? What this person <gasps> thinks of me? Uh, like, is my are my shoes the perfect match for my uh, I don't know tie color or whatever? That's all energy, and we have a finite amount of it. Even though we can train some of it, it's just not. I mean, for me personally, my personal choice is not to train it. And also emotionally, I've, uh, I like to train myself not to be attached to materialistic stuff because uh, if I lose it, I just like can replace it yeah. Uh, easily. Yeah. So, so what are the things that you concentrate your energies on? It's really my personal productivity and my, and mostly relationships with people, right? That's, that's literally most of my energy goes to that. And, and I would say if I'm in a, work immersed kind of mode, it's going to be even 95% kind of productivity and 5% people, which is not a good idea. Uh, when I say productivity, I really encompass work and my health and everything there, basically me, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. me versus how much you focus on, on helping others and in, in really contributing to them in, in my surrounding because my work can help hundreds of thousands of people but if people mm-hmm. around me aren't uh, kind of in touch with me I mean sadly sometimes I mean I, I don't have time to talk to my parents and we live in the same house right and it's like a week you know we barely spoke things like that and mm-hmm. that's like periods of immersion and, yeah. and I'm trying to kind of combine that more to make it more sustainable because the relationships and the value of relationships is, is something we don't really value until we lose, sadly. Sadly, we, we cannot see that and, and, and there's always more work and we have this dream that there's one day, I mean, it's just going to become easier, you know, like I'm going to hit this threshold of subscribers or I'm going to get this uh, deal or I'm going to put <laughs> out this product or I'm going to coach this many clients and it's just going to become a little bit easier. Fact is, it's probably gonna become harder. I mean, think about it. If you've achieved a great goal this year, what are you gonna do next year? You're gonna set a bigger goal. Yeah. If you get, yeah. if you do a good work at your job, if you're employed right now, what is gonna happen? Well, your boss is gonna give you more work. You know, like you're better, you just <laughs> like more work. So there's really never this time to break, to, for a break, it's really about you taking control and managing your time better. And that's what I realized, I mean, the most uh, with my time is that it's always going to be busy. Now it's up to you to, to really balance the balls a little bit better, you know, like juggle it a little bit better. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, how do you then um, stay more present rather than continually focusing on bigger things? Yeah, and that, that's a good question. And I personally am not really a big things kind of guy. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I know plenty of my friends that are uh, super supervision oriented and yeah. some of them actually struggle with executing the process on a day-to-day basis because they're always like, oh my God, I have this big idea, you know, <laughs> like I have this huge improvement. Like, and uh, what I've kind of caught myself when I, when I fell into that trap was that I was always thinking big, always thinking how to make it perfect. And how, every day you wake up, there's a new idea how to improve it. Never gets done, right? <laughs> And I've kind of trained myself over the years to be more reps oriented, more day-to-day oriented, uh, okay. looking more at my 24 hours instead of what's going to happen in the next five years. The five mm-hmm. years vision is great for motivation. Mm-hmm. Perfect, right? Once every six months or so, you know, you remind yourself, you remember the vision, why you're doing it. But really, when you're in the trenches, when you're doing like 24-hour periods, yeah. uh, you got to focus on the immediate, what's in front of you. because. Ultimately, that makes up your week. Your week makes up your months. Months make up your years. And in five years, you get what you do in your 24 hours consistently, mm-hmm. not what you imagine in your mind that it's going to be this big goal. And I, I've really tried to unwire myself from thinking super, super long term and big all the time because yeah. it's just a, it's almost like an instant gratification kind of situation because that's that's exciting, you know. And stuff that is not exciting is really the stuff that you should be doing because that's the stuff that you're probably avoiding and that's the stuff that I mean that's the kind of the cave you know the scary cave that holds the biggest treasure is the one that is there in front of you that you're not doing yeah and and I feel yeah. like the message of doing more of what you already know works gets lost in personal development like that's the message that it gets lost because mm-hmm. how much more do we know than what we're actually implementing mm-hmm. like I know a thousand times more than I'm actually implementing there's probably people that know 10 times more than me uh, that they are just not implementing the knowledge. Yeah. And think about, I mean, is that knowledge really doing anything if it's not being applied? 
there, there's a lot of, I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of there, nuance there as well. I mean, uh, I, mean I, I won't bash yeah. too much on knowledge, but <laughs> because I love learning, I read like two or three books a week. Yeah. But um, at some point, you got to realize, you know, like. Exactly. Yeah. At what stage is it nothing more than just procrastination? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you're using learning as procrastination, that's yeah. probably a good idea to like take a step back and, and just start applying and just see how it goes. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, look, life is a scientific experiment, sort of. And, and, <laughs> you're the n equals one you're the only subject and you're as well the researcher <laughs> yeah. so the only way you can figure out some of these ideas the, whether they work for you or not is if you apply them and see how they work for your life because all the ideas that you get from books or in science most of them uh, will be if they're truthful there will be average ideas that work for average people now you're not average you're you're you uh, you're the person that is the experiment and then you have to figure out what works for you and then you have to kind of realize okay this is the stuff that I resonate with the most and I'm going to keep doing that and I think that gets missed a lot is the the trial and error kind of uh, mentality is what gets missed because people are feeling like well I can shortcut that you know like I can always keep shortcutting it and mm -hmm. you can shortcut it to some extent but you will rarely have true knowledge from a book unless you actually start applying it. Because if you start applying it, you see how it works for you, whether, it, whether it's a match, and then you can start upgrading it and it becomes yours. Mm -hmm. I mean, the book itself, it's just, an, it's just a starting point. It, it's really about troubleshooting. You know, mm -hmm. success is about troubleshooting. It's not about uh, having the perfect idea. You know, it's about being the scientist who's just trying out crazy things. And, to be fair, like the first thing, if, if you try out, like the first thing that you try out, if it's perfect or if you think that it's 100% good, you're already too late. You should be starting at 80% ready mm. and then seeing how it works and then just upgrading from there. Mm -hmm. I found this to be a, a revelation to stop being perfectionist. You know, that was like holding me back for years, man, like especially with videos. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I feel the pain, you know, I do like a, a 500 takes of a video sometimes, you know, because I, I would miss like a word or I mean, I would just mispronounce something or I'd make a mistake with a year when I mentioned a year, research study and I just redo the take. And wow. that was a perfectionist yeah. thing. I could have just easily edited somehow, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> done is better than perfect, right? I live and learn. Yeah. 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 So uh, at the moment, then, I mean, when you're not on planes or, or traveling, I mean, what does a typical day in the life look like? I'm a very simple person, man. Like, if you film me with a camera uh, throughout 24 hours, you yeah. think I'm the most boring person in the world. <laughs> you would actually think I'm not a person. You would think I'm a robot, and that's oh. uh, that's because of my. Uh, I, I surrender to the structure. You know, I'm the type of person that surrenders to the routine. Whatever is in my routine, I just execute it, and I feel like I, I like that because I don't have to decide what I'm gonna do. I just have my things already pre-made that I need to execute that day. So yeah, I mean, typical day, wake <laughs> up, um, uh, first toilet, weigh myself, uh, after weighing myself, uh, go outside, uh, stare at the sun if the weather is sunny, to wake up faster, uh, meditate at the same time, somewhat of a, let's say three to five minutes. I, I usually don't do very long meditations. Sometimes I use apps uh, on my phone for meditation um, okay. to just to kind of guide me Guided. if I, yeah, if yeah. I need that uh, to get kind of in, in the right headspace. Um, and then afterwards, I will uh, simply start working. Like there's gonna be no, it's my morning routine is 15 minutes. Uh, sometimes it incorporates a cold shower so I have this thing where I cycle cold showers. Let's say I'm gonna do cold showers for two weeks and I'm gonna stop and do it for two weeks again. 
Um, I cycle a lot of things. I cycle saunas. I cycle cold showers. I, I kind of go through cyclic nature of these two things instead of mm -hmm. doing them all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, then I'm going to hit up uh, my work. There's going to be a work block of about three to four hours or so. Uh, work block of three to four hours. There's mini blocks between the three to four hours, which last about 45 minutes to an hour and then followed by a 15 minute break. So I'm going to knock these out. I'm going to uh, get some food afterwards. So I, I get my first meal in, I'd say about four to five hours after waking up. A meal, uh, then review some of the, the stuff I've done, uh, do some less hardcore stuff because that first work block is where I really knock out the hardest stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I go into uh, review a little bit of my training and then I hit the gym. Mm -hmm. I get the gym done, come back home, get food, uh, then either review more work uh, that is if, if most of the days are going to be like that and then if there's something else I might have a little bit of free time on a, well let's say on a Friday or on a Saturday I'm going to try to have about an hour or two to spend with someone I care about and that's uh, for the most of the other time if you catch me on a Sunday Sunday 11.30 p.m. You're, I'm going to probably be at the laptop or, or listening to an audio book or something you know like there's not going to be I mean I will, I mean, I have my, uh, let, let's call it like this, the way, the way I like to organize my, my schedule, which might be interesting for a lot of people, is that I like watching TV shows, I like playing video games, mm -hmm. I like doing all these things, but what I, what I don't like is that these things have control over me. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna actually uh, download all of that stuff and I'm gonna watch and play all of it at once. So I'm gonna literally binge watch the entire week's worth of TV shows at once <laughs> on a Sunday. Okay. And I'm going to follow that up with some work where I'm going to plan the next day or listen to a book or something. Like that. But there's going to be a block on Sunday or some other day of the week where I kind of, I usually use Sunday or Wednesday. And I'm going to binge watch that because I don't want to be in a reactive state as those episodes are coming out throughout the week and then just slowly chipping it every single day. I'm just going to rather time block that enjoy it while it lasts and then it continue grinding <laughs> similarly with, with video games instead of playing every day for 30 minutes or thinking about it every single day i'm having that as a as an end to a, or to a successful week yeah and there's some there's some research on this that if you kind of have something planned ahead that you're looking more forward to it there's some weird vague research on it but it's so, sort of like in my mind it makes sense mm -hmm. because currently we're all distracted. I mean, it's very easy to get distracted. So if I'm being hit up by notifications all the time, <laughs> it's all the time like taking my focus away. But yeah. if I have an idea, okay, all these episodes are coming out, I can just ignore all of that stuff. I'll, Sunday is going to come, man. Like, and you look <laughs> forward to it, you grind, you work hard, you hustle hard. Sunday comes, relax, do all that stuff, and then continue on. And I find this to be perfect for my type of... Uh, some, pe some of my people are just putting out there and know it's not just this is what works for me not a universal recommendation so my clients like to have uh, a cutoff period in a day which is like past 6 p.m no work just relaxation mm -hmm. i totally respect that that works for a lot of people depends which phase of your life you're in if mm -hmm. you're in a super grind mode uh, when i was doing daily youtube videos i was literally working 10 hours a day every day 10 to 14 hours a day like literally every single day there's not a single day that i took a break uh that was one thing, but if I'm in a less immersed way, then I do these tricks to make my uh, schedule make more uh, more time for people and more time for enjoyment somewhat, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, as I said, the cutoff time in the day is a really good idea. If you like that, try it out. 
uh, but try to binge watching as well. I, I find it, <laughs> I find it very, very effective. You know, you're not in a reactive yeah. state. You actually decide when you're gonna watch it. You know, so it gives you some of that power back. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I was because I was going to say like, where does the sort of enjoyment and the pleasure come from if it's so regimented all the time? But I suppose you're getting that at the end of. You know, you know that's going to be your reward. So 80 20. 80 structure, yeah. 20 flexibility. Similarly with the diet, but mm -hmm. 80 with work, 100% uh, on point, 80% uh, of the time, and then there's 20% where I'm more flexible and, and, I, and I find this balance point to work for me. Uh, and of course, sometimes it gets 90 10, sometimes it gets like 50 50 if I'm traveling, but there's usually the balance is 80 20. And I find yeah. this to work perfectly for my, for my situation. Brilliant. It's been, as, as I say, like I really, really enjoy listening to your answers. So much of what you say resonates with me. I've been into the sort of personal development for a long time. Um, and yeah, I think everything that you say is, is brilliant. <laughs> I suppose at this stage, it'd be really good to maybe dive a little bit deeper um, and maybe handle some of the more sort of philosophical questions around about, you know, purpose, legacy, success, you know, I really enjoy getting into. <laughs> so yeah, Mario, you know, at this stage, what do you feel is your purpose? Currently, um, purpose, I would say that what I can do, my purpose is to use all my potential as a human being to make this world the tiniest better that I can, you know, just to make it a little bit better. I would say that uh, a grand purpose is amazing if you have one. I, I like to think of it of myself as not this ultimate creature. I do the best I can. Mm -hmm. and my purpose is really at the moment to use everything that I know all, to all my capabilities, pretty much everything I can do and just make it a little bit better, you know, as much as I can. And that purpose might be slightly different in a decade from now or two decades when I, I don't know, maybe I'm going to grow a bigger brand. Maybe I'm going to do like uh, some kind of special thing, you know, mm -hmm. it's not important, but it's important that you're doing the best you can. And the purpose talk, is amazing. I really appreciate when people talk about their purpose, but I also like to see a lot of action. I like to see a lot of a lot of like tangible, hardcore action where my purpose is literally receiving that email in a day where a guy says like, man, like I watched your videos and last year I lost like 50 pounds. I've got a new job, start a business, completely transform my life. That That's my purpose. Like those people are my purpose not me or my own development, although I, mm. I develop myself as kind of like a way to improve what I'm putting out there yeah. and to make myself, of course, more valuable in, in the world. But that's the purpose, that, that email, that screenshot, that comment on YouTube, comment on Instagram, uh, doing a live event, people come up to you at the end of the event and say, man, like, uh, you're, you're incredible, right? you helped me so much. And, and for me to hear that is, is something that it's unbelievable because where I came from, I mean, it was totally, I would never imagine that, man. It's like you're living your dream literally every single day. And I, I don't think that, I mean, for, for me personally, there, I, I can make it better, but mm -hmm. it's already amazing. You know, like I'm already living the, the, the dream that I wanted to. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. What would you like your legacy to be? When people think back and, and just uh, kind of think of my name or, or whoever thinks, I, just to see, okay, he, he had the right core values and he put out uh, the content out there. He's, he helped people, you know, and that's kind of the, 
the, the thing that you can ultimately, uh, at least what I'm really proud of is my impact on other people. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I would be super proud of if uh, at the end of this, uh, this life I would have so much impact that it's actually uh, recognizable. Uh, I'm not really, a, to be fair, I would say that even my, my legacy is great, but that's not my primary motivation to, mm -hmm. to do stuff. You know, it's not it's not my primary thing because you can be remembered for, for random things like you can create a legacy even though you're not helping a lot of people. You know, you can create different types of legacies. Yeah. And I, I mean, for me, my my purpose and what I feel as a human being is, is for all of us is to truly become the best we can be. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we will be a good example for others to help others. And um, yeah, I mean, we're at the end of the day, you know, like the king and the pawn go in the same box, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. How do you define success? Uh, two words, complete freedom, right? Complete yeah. freedom. Uh, you can do whatever you want, whoever you want, and whenever you want, and all, like pretty much everything is free. And when you have that complete freedom, you do the right thing that is aligned with your core values and, and, and your beliefs and you're actually uh, helping someone with that success. Because mm -hmm. I mean, you, you can be somewhat successful, but if you're not actually aligned, I mean, someone will define success in various ways, but I'm looking more like helping someone in, um, in a way that it, it doesn't have to be worldwide. It can be even in a, in a small domain, even if it's one person or even helping yourself or in any, in any way, just making sure that you're contributing value. At the end of the day, it's really about adding value. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be feeling bad if you don't have this million people following you. You can add value to your own little community. You can add value to your own family. You can add value to your own pet. You know, you can add value <laughs> everywhere. If you look at the world as a place where you can potentially add value, you know, yeah. like help the granny across the street, you added value, right? Uh, you help someone uh, give them like they're they're like at, at the airplane, you know, they're like super paranoid and you help them like bring the bag up the stairs or something, you know, like they're like, okay, oh my God, you know, you helped me so much. In that moment, that probably was a massive amount of value for those people, more than if you, I don't know, flew to Mars, you know, like the, mm -hmm. it's sort of like that, you know, and, and, and you have these opportunities in everyday life where uh, we miss the point where we think that these small things aren't valuable anymore and, and we think that the successful person has to be the one that goes to Mars or that invents a new, uh, I don't know, energy source or something, you know. Yeah. A successful person can, like, a successful person is my grandmother, my mother, my grandfather, like, these are successful people. They've helped people around them. They lived solid lives, they put in the work, they did the best they could most of the time. Mm -hmm. In my world, they're, they're successful, like that, that mm -hmm. is success. And they were, I mean, they were free in their own domain, right? And now how much you view that you need to be free, that's, that's sort of a personal question, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> Who or what inspires you? Uh, people that get results inspire me like people that get results because I, I said something or they, they they heard someone said something and they just work hard and they kind of beat the odds you know that that inspires me a lot when i see people yeah. beat the odds whether it's business relationships or or, or fitness or anything it, when i just see someone crushing it that that's a huge <laughs> inspiration for me like yeah. they have uh, they could have had like a hundred followers somewhere you know and they just beat the odds they're just weird kids from somewhere from nowhere I'm like oh my god that guy is like an inspiration mm -hmm. and and you can I mean I read a lot of biographies you know I, I've I mean one of my favorites I mean Arnold Schwarzenegger's Total Recall That's I love that book, book. Uh, yeah. it's fantastic 
a lot of these books that are biographies, like Steve Jobs' biographies is very interesting for me. There, there's a whole number of people that I could say that they're kind of inspirational figure for me. Mm-hmm. But end of the day, when you start, uh, when you're putting out content, uh, people will inspire you that, that kind of get results. Like your people will inspire you, your community will inspire you, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. And, and mm-hmm. I, I, would w- I wish that I had this one person that is my inspirational figure, but it's really like everybody, you know? Like I, I, see, I see things that inspire me in anybody, sort of, you know? Anybody who's yeah. taking action is pushing themselves. I get a little bit of inspiration from that. It's yeah. almost like, uh, you know, it's almost happening on a very small micro level. Mm-hmm. I, th- I do believe that you can take inspiration from really anyone and anything, yeah. Sure. Yeah, if you understand the context, you know, if you understand yeah. the odds against what the person is fighting against, you know, like, oh my God, yeah. you know, like, that's crazy. You know, if, if you can just put yourself in that person's position, mm-hmm. you know, like, damn, that's hard. You know, like that guy, he has 100 subscribers, he made uh, like 500 videos. That must be really hard, you know, like who mm. would make 500 videos and stay on point? <laughs> daily if you had only 100 people following you. Maybe he's not doing it perfectly right, but there's something about that, you know, like there's something (laughs) about that person persisting, even though they they have nothing but belief, you know, like, and those are some of the crazy things that I think often get missed similarly with the the whole success talk is there's inspirational things happening around you every single day and you don't really see them, right? Because you're always stuck in looking at really, really huge, big, big, big worldwide level yeah. where there's stuff happening every day, you know, man, that's super inspiring, you know? Mm-hmm. You can inspire yourself, you know? Like if you read your own journals and stuff like that, you're like, oh my yeah. God, you know, like, how did I do this, you know? Because <laughs> you're, you kind of judge the situation based on the current state of mind you're in. So sometimes when you're in this whole inspirational state of mind, like you're listening to your old interview, you're like, oh my God, you know, did I say that? You know, well, that made total sense. <laughs> and similarly with audiobooks, I love audiobooks as a way of like simply feeding my mind with a very, very inspirational talks. And um, I mean, there, there's so many uh, ways you can inspire yourself. Yeah. This isn't really a question that I had written down, but I'm really interested actually to hear on what you think the reasons are that you're, um, you're following has kind of exploded and why you've enjoyed the success that you have. Hmm. Well, from a from a technical standpoint, I, I just knew exactly what people needed to help with, right? They, they, mm-hmm. I just knew that people have these perma problems, you know, like fat loss, muscle building, all that, and I just target them and give them the, the exact solution they need. And of course, that's a very technical solution. The other, on the other hand, it's like, well the belief that if you keep doing what you need to do that, that you kind of know that it's going to work but you keep doing it to see if it's going to work and somebody just clicks because all those videos that i made i made close to 500 videos man and sometimes i mean i judge my own content i think it's terrible sometimes it just goes viral you know <laughs> something i think terrible goes viral and the, it's just a lot of reps man like yeah. a lot of reps like it takes hundreds of reps to get one home run and that one home run kind of carries your channel or your social media or your one concept that you just start realizing, well, this is what works and I can double down on that. It's a lot of mm-hmm. trial and error until you find that one thing. Mm-hmm. You find it, kind of find your own core message. And then when you hammer on that and you also get refined and through coaching, you start feeling more what people really, really struggle with. And you just know that, that need and then you focus on it. A lot of it is like, not caring about what you think is important, but actually looking at what people think is important. You know, like understanding that 
what they need. It's not what is in your head that is the good idea. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I make the video, man, I think it's the best video in the world, barely gets any views. Yeah. And I make a video that is a terrible video in my world. Like, I'm looking at it, come on, man, did I say that? <laughs> and that video blows up. Yeah. And you never really know. And my mm -hmm. philosophy was uh, put your reps, put in your reps, trust the process, you know, and if you put enough reps, there's going to be home runs. You know, there's going to be home runs, but it's a matter of, matter of repetitions, matter of paying your dues. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I've been carried with that philosophy. I mean, I've been sort of applying that philosophy in, in, in videos, but where it's really evident is the gym and, and fitness where you mm -hmm. put in the reps and then you, then you see over time the progress. And that's yeah. just a translation from fitness, a principle that works in the gym with progressive overload and getting stronger, now applied to business. Mm -hmm. And it's also a principle, if we go way back in video gaming, you put in the reps, you grind, you get better, you put in the deliberate practice, mm -hmm. and then eventually you start getting much, much better. Yeah. And it's not even that much that you have to, to get twice as good, you have to put in twice as more reps. Mm. It's not even that much. There's certain tipping points at some point where you start getting extremely good because you just went that extra, like a little bit extra more than other people. That's yeah. what at least what I found with YouTube. You can yeah. recognize that extra effort, just that little bit extra. Yeah, great stuff. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice was that I was, that, that you can become good at almost anything, uh, that you're not actually, here's, here's the caveat that advice, right? So you can't become Kobe Bryant if you're me, right? You're not going to become Kobe, but you can become pretty damn good at basketball if you put in your, put in deliberate practice. Yeah. That's the best, the best piece of advice is really that it's about skills. It's not about being oh, as born with something or that, that still you have to put in. If you put in the work, you're going to get the uh, result. Yeah. The deliberate practice principle, that's like the best advice that I ever see because I knew that I don't know English, but if I put enough reps, I'm going to mm -hmm. learn English. I don't know how to do video editing, but if I did enough videos, I'm going to know how to video edit. I don't know how to uh, build a business, <laughs> but if I struggle enough, I will figure it out. Because that, what this principle allows you to think, well, it's just a matter of reps. It's a matter of time. And you're not like uh, put in this box by your genetics or your environment or anything. Because if you truly look at your, your life, what you know, your skills, it's all a matter of practice. Mm -hmm. And I think practice, again, gets lost a lot uh, because we think that if you watch the course that you already have the skills. Mm. Where practice is really where, where you learn those valuable lessons. Uh, to make those th that content in true knowledge. So information plus practice plus context gives knowledge. Mm -hmm. Information by itself doesn't give you much. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's literally the best piece of advice. I think I got that in my early 20s that you're not defined by, uh, by what you currently have, but what you work for, you know, that, that's yeah. that kind of thing. And man, it was just a matter of like putting in the reps. I, when I realized that, it was like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> I just have to work more, you know, and that, that's it. And smart work, of course, you know, like yeah. you, you want to be able to see the outcomes of your actions and then adjust based on that. So troubleshoot. Mm -hmm. But the reps are kind of a given, you know, without taking actions, nothing happens. <laughs> if you had the opportunity to speak to the 20 year old you, what would you say? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> a 20 year old me is a drunk, ha half drunk, World of Work, overweight World of Warcraft player. <laughs> Uh, who is <laughs> who uh, 
<laughs> is literally not concerned with anything else but passing with minimal grades in, in the college and in um, getting the new item in World of Warcraft. So, <laughs> boy, um, I would just uh, hmm, I would just tell myself to trust myself a little bit more. Because mm -hmm. I, back then, I, I believed that I knew what, what was the right thing to do, but I just didn't act on it, you know? Like, I was very afraid of what people would think of me. And, and I, w I was always thinking that I should fit this kind of, uh, I guess, social norm. And yeah. I was always kind of following. Even the World of Warcraft might sound extreme to some people, but it was still a part of what my friends were doing, so I was kind of fitting the norm. Yeah. You know, everything was fitting the norm. Getting drunk was fitting the norm. It wasn't really listening to what I need to do. Yeah. It's more like, okay, I'm just gonna do it because they do it, you know? And it's just like, go with the flow. And if I had that kind of, um, I guess, uh, the fact is I probably wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like trust yourself a little bit more and, and you know what the right thing is. And uh, that, would, that would be very helpful because I think I could have made some changes. But to be fair, I don't think that if I could change right now anything, like truly change, I wouldn't. Like I think it was just perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All shaped me who I am today. Like not a zero thing I would change. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's what you said there, it's, it's very difficult. I think people feel a lot of resistance or they feel as though they don't want to go against the norm, against the grain or do things that others might perceive as being different. How would you encourage people to kind of break free from that? To be honest, man, like at the end of the day, it's, it's out of your uh, life. You can do your life, or you can do your life in someone else's design, uh, and it's your choice. To, like you have to, you have to pick, and it's okay if you pick that someone else can choose what you need to do, and that's totally fine if you're cool with that. I know plenty of people who do that, and they're totally happy. At the end of the day, your happiness set point will adjust itself, and you're gonna be fat, happy. You're not gonna see much difference, you know, unless you get examples of the opposite working and things like that. Um, one thing that I guess I could only speak from my own experience yeah. is that in my case, pretty much I had no acceptance from, from anybody uh, when I started this, right? And the reason why you don't get acceptance is the fact is that what's happening here and what's happening in the real world, people don't see what's going on in your head. Hmm. You know, they don't see the change of identity that you have. Yeah. Like when, I'm, when I was overweight, you know, people didn't see that in my head I, w I already had the six pack. You know, because I was already doing the actions that lead to that six pack, but it takes a while for the body to catch up to what's going on here. And uh, people will have a sort of an identity of who you are supposed to be, and they're gonna impose that on you, and they're gonna define you. And when you try to change, uh, that's gonna be in conflict. So you're gonna go against those definitions. And a lot of people from your life will not actually be able to accept that. Because what, I mean, some of them will be telling themselves a story, well, if he can change, then something must be wrong with me, so I might as well just not accept that and just shove him away, you know, like he's not a part of my life anymore. Because mm -hmm. what people are doing is really, most of the time when people are judging you in a way, they're kind of trying to make their world have sense. So if you try to lose weight, people would be like, yo, you can't do that, you know, you can't have a six pack, you know, you can't do that. What they're really saying is that, I couldn't get a six pack, so you shouldn't get a six pack because that wouldn't make my world make sense. <laughs> so I have to tell you what you need to do because I need to make my world kind of make sense. And uh, that's same with business, that's same with, with social skills, and that's same with a lot of other things. And I, I feel like that uh, you can, I mean, you can live your life in many different ways, but you can be trapped with what 
the social norm is mm -hmm. and people can be sort of operational in that situation i personally uh, couldn't that's why i'm here um, because i went against the norm and um, it, it is a very painful path you know you're not gonna be accepted and then and, and you're choosing a hard in some way a harder life you know because yeah. Uh, the pain that you choose with doing that is immediate. The pain of choosing to live by someone else's star standard is delayed. Mm -hmm. So the pain that you get uh, is probably going to be at the end of your life uh, mm -hmm. if you choose to live by other people's standards. But if you are living your own life now, you, you will have pain every single day. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like choosing which one you want. <laughs> that is a killer answer <laughs> serious that's brilliant so. yeah it's, that is really it, really yeah. good really like that um, and i think a, a lot of people can take a lot from that if you could change anything in the world what would it be and why yeah oh that's that's a tough one uh, <laughs> i think we touched on it when we talk about travel um hmm, what would make the world a little bit more understanding um oh yeah okay i would have the entire world speak the same language oh wow it doesn't have to be English, doesn't have to be any, any new language. But just entire world speak the same language. Gee, why? I think it would help a lot uh, just to s resolve so many things that are happening. Uh, I think that there, the language barrier is one of those things that I can personally see to be a big barrier for spreading knowledge to people that are my colleagues. For example, if they, they speak only Croatian, they can't even access books. And most of the stuff isn't really translated properly. Yeah. And the language barrier is such a huge deal when you go to certain countries and um, you see that people would want to communicate with you and they can't learn from you because they don't know how to speak your language. You know, mm. imagine if everybody would understand what we're talking about right now. But most people don't. Like most of the world don't, doesn't know English, right? And it's kind of crazy. Like all this content that we're talking about, it can only reach so few people that really understand this. And compared to like, imagine if the entire planet could really understand what we're talking about here. It would have made a little bit more difference, you know. And uh, yeah, that's like an easy fix. Uh, it wouldn't solve pretty much, I mean, probably wouldn't solve anything, you know, like, but it would make the world a little bit of a better place, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, if wow. you give me a lot, like more to answer, <laughs> I could probably like, write an <laughs> essay on it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I can't, it, it's bizarre. Like the number of conversations that I've had to you, I've never actually considered that not, you know, everybody in the world can understand them. It's, but you're right, that's true. But no, not everyone is going to be able to understand Yeah, what we're like my about. parents will not be able to understand this right now. Like, Gee, okay. it's kind of crazy, right? And yeah. I'm their son, right? I'm supposed to be able to communicate with them, but I'm speaking a different language. Like, imagine that. Like, we're living a totally different world uh, yeah. because we can't communicate in the same way in certain things. If I'm talking about personal development in English, it's like I'm in this different world. Language defines almost a different reality. Yeah. So um, it, it would bring us kind of closer to the similar reality. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Mario, this has been an absolutely phenomenal interview. Um, I've loved every minute. I feel like I've just had a master's in life from you. <laughs> Seriously, I've learned, I've learned an enormous amount. And uh, yeah, it's genuinely been an, an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, and I, I, I can't wait to see where you're you're going to continue to go on to. I, I wish you all the best in your, on your uh, life journey. And uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Thank you, Elliot. I, I'm truly humbled to be here. And um, I hope my message really resonates with people and helps them a lot. Uh, I'm just a guy, right? I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, nobody's cut from a different cloth. Whatever I'm doing, uh, everybody can do. And it's just a matter of work and, and, and dedication and dedicating yourself to a certain path. 
And uh, I just want to say that because I, I don't feel like I'm in any, any way special. You know, the skill that I have is really persistence and I work really hard. And that's uh, that's one of the biggest things, you know, that that's one of the huge issues that that I think will help a lot of people is because I'm, I'm, I'm just a normal guy, right? And um, yeah, that, mm. that's what I want to point out. I love that. I love your humility and uh, it's incredibly inspiring. So yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Thanks. Really, really a pleasure being here. <laughs> Great. Cheers, Mario. Thank you for listening to Inspired Edinburgh. Please come and find us on social media and leave us a review on iTunes. Many thanks.